In 2016, a sex toy company was exposed by two hackers, with a class action suit to follow. The claim alleged its manufacturer has been unlawfully collecting and sharing users' data. All of this without the knowledge of over 300,000 users. This is the story of the WeVibe privacy class action lawsuit. Sorry for the jump scare, I'm yet to put my glasses away and people get triggered with the light reflection being in the frames. Anyways, I was thinking of looping you into an alternative introduction, the initial one that I have written actually on this topic, because YouTube can be a bit iffy when the topics are risque, when they're revolving around sex toys, around anything sexual really, and they kind of really pay attention to at least first couple of seconds of the video when it goes through the upload process. So this is the initial intro that I have written. Let me know if you find that it's any better or worse compared to what you have just heard. It is the early summer of 2016. One woman opened up her carefully packaged sex toy. She connected it to the app designed to increase her pleasure. She did not read the privacy policy that came with that sex toy, because there's nothing she could find less sexy than doing so. A month later, she found out her data might have been compromised. She sued the company and won. During and after that lawsuit, everyone else has underplayed this company's actions, while the company itself denies any wrongdoing. And that is why we are here today. Let's go. Let's go. Let's dive into that story. Detective Unit, before I even tell you how this story ended up in my spider's web, how I even started taking a deep dive into it, I need to give out a trigger warning. This story will contain topics of data of sexual nature being compromised. And if I have seen something during my deep dive on this particular topic, it is that people wished for one. They wished for a trigger warning here because a lot of you might go into this story thinking, oh, it's a light one compared to all of the other topics that she talks about, compared to a gruesome murder, compared to stalking, cases of SA. However, truly, this story has been just so underrepresented, undermined, just under everything, really. And, well, I'm here, if anything, to change that. That's why I have read up the court documents here, documents of the settlement, to try to make this topic approachable and understandable for people in order to understand why it's an issue, why data of sexual nature being transferred and having the potential of being abused and other people and companies abusing this data is something that we should maybe pay more attention to. So that is truly why we are here. That brings me into maybe like a subplot of why we are here and how this topic came onto my radar. If you have been on this channel for a while, you probably know that I do have a podcast. Right now, technically, I just post videos from this channel onto that podcast because I just do not have the time to create as much content as I did in 2020 and 2021, COVID times, right? had all the fucking time in the world. So that's what I did. I had no life and I just created content. And in one such episode, it only happens to be episode 69 and I am a Scorpio and a bit of a pervert, I have done an episode on sex toy heists of 2017. It was a really weird year. 2017, honestly, 
in this particular niche of people stealing like trucks of sex toys or stealing sex toys from like a fest affair in Berlin. It was super strange year and a lot of things just happened. And a year before those heists in 2017, this story happened, the story I'm telling you today. So my supposition, rather the shower thought of the day really, connecting those multiple stories, the one of the class action suit in 2016 and the multiple sex toy heists of 2017 that ended up being unresolved, the crucial point here, is, well, what if all of those sex toys fell into the arms of the wrong people? Or what if those wrong people are just the companies that produced them in the first place? I actually need to play the conclusion of this story for you because Maya had a movie idea on that day in 2021. Imagine the world of organized crime involving sex toys sold on the black market, all of them with the potential of being hacked by their sellers we would have the biggest issue of sexual assault that we would not be able to tackle. This episode was made to highlight an issue of us being 10 steps ahead with technology and years or decades behind with legislations around it. If 2017 showed us anything within the sex toys world, it is that we are still playing catch up and the bad guys are still winning. That sounds like a bit of a stretch, I will admit, but hold that thought, because by the end of this video you might agree with me on the bad guys still winning part. It's just about thinking who the bad guys really are. That's why we are here, because I wanted to dig deeper into the core issue, and that is the privacy surrounding sex toys. Where was it in 2017 and where it's headed? So to start that off, before the lawsuit, we have to talk about the main topics of the day. One of them is the Internet of Things. In simple English terms, like without me boring you with an actual definition, Internet of Things is just devices communicating with one another. So common examples here would be smart speakers responding to users when you're speaking to Siri, for example, or hey Alexa, can you do whatever for me? Smart doorknobs that can be locked from an app on your phone, baby monitors. You get a gist and you also realize how creepy that can be in certain cases if one such device can have the potential to be hacked. The device we are going to be talking about today would be considered to be in the Internet of Things realm because the users would use Bluetooth communication protocol in order to pair it with an app that would be called WeConnect to enable remote control of the device. So the question really when it comes to Internet of Things is why do these devices then need to share your data? And while some argue that not all of the devices should be connected to the Internet, the collection of data by these devices serves a specific purpose that can be beneficial to the user and also contribute to the company, therefore then contributing to the economy. Like, certain things I understand why it can be useful, like if you were to have a smartwatch, especially now with Apple Watches and like really any other smartwatch technology, it can note when you fall, right? It can note like if your heart rate goes up, like if you were to have a heart attack, like you understand why that then possibly communicating with 
your friends, relatives, anybody who has the access or who is your emergency contact or directly calling 911-999. Like, you can understand how something like this can be beneficial. But then you look at the completely different side of it and think whether that data and whether that data sharing is really in the hands of its users. Did the users choose to enable that feature and do they have enough information? Is it easy enough for them to do so. This isn't news to anybody, and it's widely known that there is a huge security issue surrounding these devices. There was a study that was called Information Exposure from Consumer IoT Devices that examined the data communication practices of common IoT devices through the series of experiments. And they found out that 89% of devices communicating with parties other than device manufacturers, and that a passive eavesdropper can reliably infer user and device behavior from 37% of devices. In layman terms, they can be hacked, and they can be hacked easily, and your information then is in the hands not even of the manufacturer of that company, which is already risky and they have the potential to abuse it, but in the hands of the third party. The main broader issues we are going to be talking about today would be privacy and security. So, to break those down, we are going to be talking about privacy policy, rather the documents or the URLs that are usually shared on the websites of literally any company, anything that you have used recently, whether it would be Airbnb, I don't know, booking.com, I don't know why only hotel companies are popping up in my brain, probably because I desperately need a holiday, or whether it would be, <laughs> I cannot genuinely remember any other company, a sex toy company, yes, Maya, like the one you're talking about today. Any single one of these websites needs to have a privacy policy. That document is there to disclose some of, or all of the ways, that a company in question, the website you are on, gathers, uses, discloses, and manages your data. Now, for the topic that we are actually discussing today, the way that I picture this is like a Venn diagram. So, you have Internet of Things in one circle, you have privacy and security issues in the other, and the overlap, the part in between, the part that connects them all in this story, in our story today, would be introducing a new term here, teledildonics. Basically, sex toys that can be controlled remotely. Dildonics in itself is not a new term. It existed since 1970s, when it was introduced by an American tech pioneer who at the time was referring to remote sex that stimulated realistic feelings of touch through computers connected to telephone lines. Please tell me, does that just mean phone sex? Because, like, where was the technology in the 1970s? I completely understand this is the ignorance on my part, because the first software that I have used would be Windows 1998, and I was like, was there even technology before that? So correct me if I'm mistaken. But the term teledildonics was only coined in the 1990s, when another tech pioneer picked up off of the first one's work and continued to build off on it. 
Teledildonics as a term is used to describe high-tech sex toys that would allow users to connect via telecom networks across long distances. And if your first thought upon hearing that is, why would anybody want that? Of course, there are security implications. It's connected to the internet. It's connected to the Bluetooth. It can be compromised at any point. Why are they wearing a short skirt? They have asked for it. This is probably not the channel for you because open-mindedness and all that. But also, adult toy industry is progressing with technology, whether you want it or not. Whether it is having long-distance sex with your partner or playing a sexual virtual reality game after coming home from a long day at work. Now, long-distance relationships and controlling the sex toy that your partner has remotely is truly just one layer to it. It is predicted that teledaldonics is actually getting to the stage where VR, sex robots, and the sex toys will all be combined. This will, for example, allow your sex doll to be controlled remotely by your partner while you're wearing a VR headset with Fiji as the 3D backdrop. And that is all fun, if both parties are consensual. And if the data behind these experiences is not shared with a third party or the company in itself with the potential for them to abuse that data. But for one company, that was not the case. So we go into the short of it, the short summary of the whole case. In 2016, WeVibe, a Canadian manufacturer of sex toys, would face a class action lawsuit for privacy violations and would have to pay a settlement of about 3 million pounds. After it was discovered that their connected vibrators were collecting sensitive user data, such as usage times, vibration settings, and linking it all to users' email addresses. For the long of it, first we have to focus on teledildonic devices, so on that overlap in our Venn diagram, because these devices, first of all, can take a ton of data. And it really depends, yes, on the privacy policy that you should look up for every single one of these devices, what data they take, because obviously different devices are targeting a different thing. So, for example, there is vibrator called Lioness that collects data on sexual performance, to help users understand how factors such as alcohol, stress, medication, and injuries affect their level of arousal. There are toys that can be controlled from a different device, so a computer or a phone, that have sensor-equipped sleeve that can transmit movements to a partner's vibrator. So this is sort of like WeVibe devices that we will be talking about today. When thinking about that data that can be populated from that device, usually people think about the first level of threat, rather like the surface level. Oh, what if somebody was to hack it? or take that data and maliciously use it, share it with somebody. But that is truly just a surface level. Something that popped up in my brain during this research is truly how this data can then change your mindset towards something, influence you, for example, to buy more of these, to look into something else. Depending on really what data that device is taking, like if it is factors like do you drink, do you smoke, do you take medication, what kind of ads would then pop up on your phone, what kind of targeted videos will you see, for example, on your TikTok page. Like, it can truly do so, so much damage. Just picture for yourself, like, we used to do this at work when we were bored, 
<laughs> we were just speaking to the microphone literally like, in the proximity of our phone and it would be like topic of holidays for example the same instant after you finish that conversation you go into any app into facebook into tiktok into whatever you would see the targeted ads for exactly the topic that you have been speaking about you'd see like plane tickets whatever like cheap cruises like anything really, based off of what you were just speaking about. So now translating that to you using your sex toy and that app that you use to like remotely access that toy, having all of this data, like what does this truly mean? It can push you towards addictions, it can push you towards buying more toys, it can change your behavior. It, the possibilities are just completely insane. And the implications don't really stop there, because in some jurisdictions, hijacking a remote session, like we have just described, so somebody being on the computer and hacking into your device remotely, would constitute as sexual assault or even rape. So think about that. The sense of violation is truly what matters. Now we have to deal with the reality of remote rape. The comparison that I actually found so vivid when speaking about one of these layers, like remote rape, was coming from this article that said this isn't just even a technical problem, it is also an emotional one. And it gave a real-life example of thinking that you are sleeping with the person that you're in a relationship with, but what if you're actually sleeping with their twin? Like, the emotional damage that this would done to you, plus also, then, the point of consent. Because that wasn't what you consented to. You thought you were sleeping with the person you were with, but it ended up being their twin. Possibly the darkest layer when it comes to teledildonics is using these services and using these sex toys remotely in the countries where same-sex, for example, would be illegal and you are in a long-distance relationship. On one side, yes, the technology would offer you the potential to not be at risk, right? Because the avoidance, rather, of physical pleasure would significantly lower risk than in-person encounters, than you being caught with an actual person that you are seeing. However, then if your data is shared, with somebody or misused, depending on the implications, if you're in the country where same-sex is illegal, for example, breaches of data can lead to dying by suicide in some cases, or even homicide. If your family was to discover it, if the government was to discover it, if anybody was to discover that you are in a same-sex relationship where it's illegal, the consequences would truly be deadly. Now that you have the overview of why this topic shouldn't be undermined, especially when it comes to the teledonics devices in the IoT realm, let's dive into the actual topic of the day. Let me tell you a bit about WeVibe. So, WeVibe existed since 2003, but in 2014, one of the people there suggested an idea of putting a Bluetooth connection inside of a vibrator. And this is how WeVibe 4 Plus was born. The vibrator could connect with a smartphone app that the makers would say allows couple to keep their flame ignited, together or apart. As I mentioned, this wasn't the first batch of sex toys that the company had introduced, because they were around since 2003. Standard Innovation, the Canadian company that was founded by Bruce and Melody Murison, developed the WeVibe sex toy. 
Bruce Morrison previously worked as the semiconductor and in manufacturing industry, while both he and his co-founder Melody were former employees of Nortel. This is the telecommunications company that would go bankrupt. They established Standard Innovation in 2003, but didn't reveal what the company was working on until the launch of their first product, the WeVibe Couples Vibrator, in 2008. This was the small either U or C-shaped device that was designed to be worn by a woman during sex, with one end inserted vaginally and the other one resting against their clit. The company would quickly gain endorsement by Canadian sex educator, another surgeon, like host of the talk show Dr. Oz Show. Then, 2014 comes around and WeVibe releases a new version of their couple's vibrator that they called WeVibe 4 Plus. This is the one that would feature Bluetooth connectivity and a mobile app that allowed for remote control. And this was a first for the company, enabling the partners to control the toy from anywhere with internet access. In 2015, the WeVibe 4 Plus received the award for Best Couple's Sex Toy at a Sexual Health Expo in LA. These were not cheap, but the app and its remote control gave them the edge. So the internet capabilities of the WeVibe product line allow devices to be controlled long distance. For example, by the people on the opposite sides of the globe. And individual WeVibe devices retail in Australia, for example, was between $170 and $300. Store this next piece of nugget in your brain for later. I couldn't find the exact number of how many of this particular batch of devices were sold. But according to the papers, when we are talking about the people that will be covered by the settlement, 300,000 have bought WeVibe devices and closer to 100,000 downloaded and used the company's corresponding app. So we are talking about WeConnect here. By 2015, WeVibe had sold nearly 4 million couples vibrators. And by 2016, they were exposed. How were they exposed, you might ask, by two hackers on a stage of a conference in Las Vegas. Let me introduce you to DEF CON, because I didn't know about it before this case, so you must learn about it as well. This is the convention that happens for hackers every year in Las Vegas, and it started from like 1993. It attracts different kind of people, like including computer security professionals, journalists, lawyers, security researchers, students, just anybody who is really into technology. You can buy a ticket and then you watch people basically either tell you how to hack things, you can, I think, engage in hackathons, you can attend different talks on the variety of computer and hacking-related topics, and participate in different challenges and competitions. And during one such conference, two hackers that went under the handles Goldfisk and Follower step up on stage. They would show that the communication between WeVibe Vibrator and the controlling app WeConnect was not secure, allowing for remote control of the device. This is what adds to the eeriness of the whole story for me. I will be playing some parts of that video, some parts that were relevant to the story, and just note the sound is bad, but the, their whole presentation is online, both as a video and also as the deck. 
what adds to the eeriness of the story is that you see these two hackers. You see that they're just doing the job. They're just two regular people that managed to hack into the app and managed to show how this data was exposed and can just be exposed very easily and exactly what data you're receiving, what data is being shared with the manufacturer. It just made my screen crawl when I found that video online because you actually see it for what it is and you see how now that I have actually told you about all the implications, well, just probably some of them really, all the deadly ones as well, how we should not be undermining this. Like, we should definitely be speaking about it more and more, if possible. And that is when you start, you start to rage, because we'll come to that part after I tell you exactly what these hackers have exposed on stage. But people have been undermining this left, right and center, and it's not on. It's not on. I woke up and chose violence. So they're on stage and they're showing everybody how this app worked. They show that WeConnect app can be downloaded from the App Store or Google Play. So you would buy a sex toy, it would be delivered to you, or you would just bring it home, and then you go on to App Store or Google Play, you download the app that can control the vibrator. Once the app is installed and paired with a V-Vibe, consumers can use their smartphones to remotely access and control its features and settings. In order to control your sink, you can simply push the button on the top of the sink. You can use the wireless remote, it works up to three meters away, or of course your smartphone that will work from anywhere in the world. In order to pair your sink with these devices, simply press and hold the button. For a few seconds, you'll feel two pulses and you're ready to go. One of the amazing things about the sink is all the control you have using your smartphone. By simply touching the screen, you can control your sink in real time. You also have the ability to create your own custom vibes. You can control the G-Spot as well as the clitoris motors using this. You can save your vibe. We're not going to this time, but you can save them and use them later. You can also use one of the 10 preset vibration modes or you can have your sync vibe to the beat of your very favorite song. A number of things would happen when you were to turn your sex toy on. First, there will be the obvious actions. You choosing a vibration mode and device vibrating. But then there would be the byproduct, which would be data. And as we have spoken about, yes, the data can be useful to the user, can be useful to the companies themselves, can be useful to the economy, it can show usage times, diagnostics, anything that would be then useful for bug reporting, for example, if the device was to just stop working. And those are the sort of things that we don't care about when it's, for example, your fridge, the doorknob usage. But it means a whole lot more when it's, for example, a baby monitor, right? You don't want anybody hacking in to spy on your child sleeping, or a sex toy. All of this is disturbing, but when these hackers display the vibration modes on screen, I don't know why, I just... it shook me to my core that among these vibrations, there's a cha-cha-cha. I have actually stopped everything, went on YouTube, and looked up a cha-cha-cha dance, just for like the rhythm. Just because you cannot convince me that anybody in the right mind would want to have an orgasm to a vibration of cha-cha-cha. 
I don't know, you prove me wrong. Also, I don't know why this was the hill that I was about to die on that day, but I just had to stop everything. And it's like, yeah, everything is disturbing in it. So I might as well just look that up. Then, once connected, you choose the vibrations. There was the connect feature, focusing on partner play. This was called connect lover feature, and it allowed partners to exchange text messages, engage in video chats, and control the paired WeVibe device. When partners would initiate a connect lover session, WeVibe programmed WeConnect to show the following promise of security. This feature, connect lover, and the promise of security were really the key selling point of the WeVibe product line. App compatibility would also allow WeVibe to charge a higher price for its vibrators, relatively compared to like the less equipped versions. So there'll be the, the ones that wouldn't have the feature Connect Lover. So basically, what I'm saying is WeConnect was to become its key selling point and also make the devices pricier. We come to the crime part, and here the hackers give us a breakdown on stage. WeVibe designed WeConnect to secretly collect customers' intimate usage data. The devices, WeVibe devices, the actual physical sex toys, had the capability to be controlled remotely through that WeConnect app. And using the app is necessary to access all of the features and functions of the device. So what the customers weren't told is that the app would track and record their device usage in real time and that it sent it to private servers at some random location in Canada. What data, you might ask, the company was collecting things like vibration patterns, paired partners, so the details on the person that is paired to you as well, and email addresses for both. So, like, login, name, username, everything on you, technically, that you would add into the app. Also, regular updates were sent to the servers that included basic diagnostic information. Internal temperature of the chip. Now, it is said in multiple articles, this isn't your own body temperature. It is the temperature of the chip. They, like, even opened it up. People found this super freaking triggering when it was showed on stage, because, again, these are the devices that go inside of people. And also battery power level. All of which were timestamp. And you see this on stage. Like, you see the JSON callbacks, like the JavaScript of the code, of just how easy this was to expose, to hack into, to access. And so one of the things is that uh, people can make the argument, well, you know, usage data collection is just a standard part of mobile apps these days. And we want to question that assumption and say, you know, if you're making devices that are... Um, that are controlled by mobile apps that are of a more intimate nature, maybe you should consider whether you should be collecting that information in the first place. Because if the information isn't collected, then it's not vulnerable to either security releases or legal enforcement uh, of release of data. Um, so this is the specific product that we looked into and had the hardware for. It's wearable, so you can wear it under your clothes. It can be controlled either with a remote or with and has two motors, and so it's Bluetooth connected to your phone or the remote. And what do you know? It turns out this device does send information back to the manufacturer. Um, so the temperature data comes from, uh, uh, as we understand it, a thermistor in inside the device itself. Uh, 
related to monitoring the temperature of the motor, but we also determined that it is affected by um, uh, like contact with the human body, so at a minimum you can determine uh, probably whether or not a device is in use, even if it's not actually active. Because they could access all of the data in the app, including your own emails and the emails of the partners that you're connecting to, now what this meant is the company was allowed to link the usage information to specific customer accounts. So, if I am to use it under my own email, which is probably available on YouTube somewhere, so I use it as Maya, now that data is just out there. The time of day that I used it, how many times, everything I'm doing on that device, and then that data linked to me is now populated and sent to servers somewhere in motherfucking Canada for anyone to just have access and then use it how they please while eating beaver tails. Tell me that they're worth the hype. Beaver tails, that is not the wee wipe sex toys we all know. After this case, they're not. Under the pretext, why was this data sent to motherfucking servers in Canada? It was sent for product improvement and diagnostic purposes, which, yes, this is why all data is connected anywhere, right? We have established that so far. This is why all of the data is connected, so that the device can get better, not shittier. Common fucking sense. If we come back to the implications part, which is why I mentioned in the beginning of the video, and also to the fact that we are talking about real people here, unwanted activation of a vibrator is potential sexual assault. Now, if you ask how often this data that is so necessary for this company to have and then for it to be shared with these servers in Canada was actually sent to those servers, how often? How, what, what would you think? What, what, what would you think? Because when I heard this, oh my god, the blood boiling, every minute. The hackers would expose on stage the device's temperature and vibration intensity was sent back to the manufacturer every minute. This was what made it easy to determine when and how often the device was being used. My question is why? Uh, so this is sent once per minute, uh, and uh, the mode intensity data uh, which is the pattern that you're in and how strong it is, is a real-time event. And so the manufacturer is currently collecting real-time data on uh, how all of their customers are using their devices. Like, does the FBI have this technology? Does the Met? Does anybody? Why do we have missing people? If CCTVs can send data, like, if we are being surveilled this intensely by the street cameras, why do we have missing people? Why do we have most wanted? Why? Why is it necessary to send data of the use of sex toys to random ass servers by the, like, to the manufacturer every minute? I just wonder why. There's just no logical explanation to me for something like this, seemingly irrelevant data, to be shared every 60 seconds. To be shared at all, but then on top of that to be shared every minute. I'm calm now. I have had a break because I noticed I have spilled some milk and uh, went to clean that up. So um, that stopped the mental breakdown for further ensuing. So once exposed, right, once this would be made to the public, the manufacturer would try to save pace by saying that the data was used in non-identifiable forms. In the statement they would give to the press, Standard Innovation would say that the information was sent home for market research purposes so that we can better understand what settings and levels of intensity are most enjoyed.
The president of Standard Innovation at the time, called Frank Ferrari, stated that the collection of the temperature of the device is for hardware diagnostic purposes only, and that changes in temperature do not reveal the location of the product. He also mentioned that data is collected only when the app is in use, which kind of was proven wrong on stage, if you ask me, because I don't think that bloody sex toys were used by everybody everywhere in the world every single minute of the day. We have jobs. They will, if you remember from the intro, deny any wrongdoing for the remainder of this. So just don't think that they will ever like own up to them doing anything wrong, because of course they wouldn't, because then they would be shut down legally. So, in summary, what was the issue here? What will these hackers break down? The way I see this, simple English again, it's there's three folds to it. One is collection of the information, one is its distribution, and then to finish it all off, the main issue is the one of no consent. So, let me give you some more details on all of that. Whenever customers use their WeWipe through WeConnect, the manufacturer would intercept the content of those interactions sent to the device. They also designed it in such a way where the contents would be automatically transmitted to the servers in Canada. And this is all a problem because their privacy policy on their website was basically shite. Well, I'm going to heavily go into the privacy policy, but the nuts and bolts of it are they didn't obtain the consent from the customers before intercepting, monitoring, collecting, and transmitting their usage information. Instead, they hid their actual data collection practices, recognizing that a personal vibrator that collects and transmits sensitive and intimate usage data back to the manufacturer would be less valuable than one that does not. And most customers would not have bought the device if they had known about this data collection. Hold that thought, because I know that I have promised more on privacy policy and more on why was there a mess up with a copy. But back to our timeline, we're on that stage with those two hackers. They're at the conference presenting their stuff. So, those two hackers maybe wouldn't have been on stage had it not been for the rejection of the presentation of somebody else whose blog I had found. Does that make sense? Basically, I had found a blog of a person who also presented their findings on WeVibe. Everybody was on this company's case. I don't know what they had done. They're not seeing heaven, though. I can tell you that. I don't know what they had done in their life to, to for everybody to be exposing their, their thing that year. I'm glad they did. So, this guy submits his own proposal. He submits his own deck to DEF CON and gets rejected, and instead they choose our two hackers. Now, I went into this guy's blog, and he actually basically made a different version of it, but he gives us a bit of a different insight into this story. So, the policy issue comes with a messed up copy. What I mean by that is the issue surrounding WeConnect app in total was that they didn't disclose the data collection practices to the users. So, there was a privacy policy in the app, but it only covered data collected by the WeWipe website, not the app. So, it appeared the manufacturer, Standard Innovation, was trying to give out, provide a privacy policy, but because of some error, the wrong text was included. Maybe somebody just didn't make an updated version, they didn't change a couple of words, 
and it was a mess up. And as a result, they technically didn't disclose to the user that they were collecting any of this data in the app, where it was going, and why. And this was the legal shit that they would get involved in because the privacy policy just didn't state any of it. According to this hacker, this might have just meant that a programmer was given the wrong file, right? Or like the old copy. And they just basically didn't upload the right one onto the website. Now, such things, according to him, happen quite regularly without incident. Also, they have checked the lawsuit documents the same way that I did. And looking at them, this hacker had realized that there was zero evidence that the data sent to those servers was ever abused, disclosed to third parties, or otherwise mishandled. The next sentence is where I go insane. I go incense. The lawsuit hinged on one relatively minor issue, the app failing to disclose to the user, either through a EULA or through the app's privacy policy, that they were collecting such data. Minor issue. Very minor issue. This is where the undermining of everything starts, if you can't tell. So, my question here is, right, yes, luckily, the servers that were getting the information, that data wasn't misused, it didn't fall into the hands of the wrong people, nobody's data was actually exposed, we didn't have the implications, we didn't have the consequences that we spoke about at the beginning of this video. However, the hackers managed to access it. So there was potential to misuse it. Because if they could access it easy enough, this guy wanted to present it at DEFCON, right? That's at least three people. At least three people that could access this information and actually managed to compose a whole deck to present this at a conference. There was potential for misuse. Shouldn't we consider it a big deal? This case perfectly showcases any sort of discourse surrounding Internet of Things. Because what is the person's sense of privacy worth? What happens when someone's sense of bodily integrity is violated, but not necessarily their own body? Is their data then worth more or less? The hackers do their expose, but if you have been following, this case is going to reach a settlement, meaning that somebody had to sue. And the people that sue, it was two women from what I could find in the settlement documents, in like the PDF files that I read so that you don't have to. So, the hackers are on stage, they pack up, they put their presentation up and also put up some resources on how you can protect yourself online. I'll link all of that below. Then, a month later, September of 2016, two women... Well, one of them I could find documents for, but two of them would file a lawsuit against Standard Innovation. These two women were from Illinois, so the suit was filed in Illinois Federal Court, accusing Standard Innovation of violating the Federal Wiretap Act, along with other privacy and consumer protection statutes. Now, these are the facts of the suit. I'm going to try to recap this for you, because I read the document so that you don't have to. We're going to base this off of the document I could find on NP, one of the women. So, she, on or around May of 2016, bought her vibrator. This one was called WeVibe Ray Vibrator. She got it from her local shop for $130. The packaging of the vibrator, like all of the other Bluetooth-enabled vibrators in the WeVibe line, highlighted the compatibility with the WeConnect app. 
NP knew that this is the feature that's going to be included. She knew that this is why the cost is significantly higher. After purchasing the device, she downloads WeConnect, she connects it to the vibrator and starts using the device. What she didn't know is that every time that she connected WeConnect to her vibrator, the company would intercept, collect the data and then transfer it to those servers. All of that data was personally identifiable to NP. The company never informed her of that, and she never provided consent for them to do so. And she wouldn't have bought a device had she known that they will be using that data in such a way. Her complaint consisted of three counts, all surrounding intrusiveness of the device and then the unjust enrichment, just meaning that the person is getting enriched here, the company really, at the expense of another in circumstances that the law sees as unjust. What NP was seeking here on behalf of everybody who purchased these devices was for the manufacturer to seize the practices, to stop them completely, for them to award everybody who had purchased the device because of them not knowing how the data was used, and also for the coverage of the attorney fees and costs. This didn't get in front of the jury, like there wasn't like a big case in court, it was all behind closed doors, but the settlement would be reached in March 2017. Standard Innovation settled a lawsuit by agreeing to pay $3.75 million and committing to discontinue the collection of personal information and destruction of any previously gathered data as alleged violation of privacy. Now, who was eligible? We have the purchaser class and the app class. Purchaser class is kind of a bigger pool, so it's everybody in the US who bought the Bluetooth-enabled WeVibe product before a certain date in 2016, and then the app class are the ones who downloaded the WeConnect application on top of having the product. People in the purchaser class who submitted the valid claim would have been eligible to get up to $199, so basically just to cover the price of the device. And then those in the app class who submitted the valid claims would have been eligible to receive up to 10 k because their data was the one that was just extensively used and transmitted every minute, if you remember the main trigger of this episode. So, you had to file a claim with a proof of purchase by a certain date, and that would essentially either cover the cost of the device, or you can get up to 10k. I haven't seen any public information as to, like, how much people managed to get, so let me know if anybody who has, or, like, who was part of this settlement is watching, and what did you get. And why I'm saying that is because in that settlement, in small letters, I read this. As explained below, plaintiffs estimate that based on the expected rate of claims, each app class member who submits a valid claim will receive approximately $500, and each purchaser class member who submits a valid claim will receive approximately $40. So that's quite different from uh, 10k and 199. It's like a, a, a lot different, if you ask me. So if anybody was part of this settlement, let me know, because this doesn't even cover the cost of the device. It's a peace take. It's just a peace take beginning to end. Also, what they promised in that settlement is to delete data. Well, rather, you know, this is yet another rabbit hole that we have to dig in. 
the manufacturer would agree to delete certain data, so email addresses, usage time, vibration intensity and mode, temperature and battery life, and to stop collecting email addresses or include a registration process on the WeConnect app for at least three years, meaning that everything that was part of this settlement is now lifted, so they're still around, just if I didn't mention that, I don't think I did. They're still around and about. They also updated the privacy policy and will now inform users about their data collection practices, but they still can collect data in aggregate form, so non-identifiable, for their own analytics, but will provide notice and the opt-out option for users. So they pay the plaintiffs for the court costs as well, those who brought it to court from what I read, because they haven't paid any court costs if any of the claimants would pursue this further, like if they get $500 instead of 10k, that kind of thing. Those are the nuts and the bolts of this case. The malpractice was exposed by the hackers on DEFCON, then people sued, they won, and hopefully people have got some money back at least, and hopefully some of their data deleted so that it can't be used by somebody maliciously. So where does this case stand now? I have split it into a couple of small bits. What have the hackers done since? The hackers that were at that DEFCON conference. Follower and Goldfisk created a private play accord. So this is a website promoting transparency and encouraging manufacturers to stick to the basic standards of privacy and security in their products. They developed a draft rating system for sex toys so that the consumers can make informed buying decisions. According to one of them, the goal is always to ensure that users have the confidence that their sex toy is not transmitting any of the data to the manufacturer. What has WeVibe done since? Uh, the spokesperson for the company said that they had enhanced the privacy notice and increased the app security. They had also introduced the option to create an account without putting in your email address. So I suppose you can scramble your email, you know, how you can with the Apple devices, or I don't know, connect it to your Google. I'm not sure, I didn't download that fucking thing after researching this, are you mad? Also, remember how they deleted the data. So they deleted any previously recorded personal information and said they stopped collecting it for the future. Since the lawsuit, they also re-engineered the app's interface, and now they have a plain language policy notice. What they didn't do. So theoretically, they're still collecting your data, just in a way that does not personally identify individual WeConnect app users, because they have removed that option to create an account using your email address. You don't have to provide them with an email when you use WeConnect. But, and this is why I read legal documents, because I work in customer service and I get this, I get what it means. They can still connect device information, such as IP address, language setting and data, and the time that WeConnect app accesses its servers. If you have someone's IP address, you have their actual abode. You have their actual address. Like when we are blocking users because they abuse referral scheme or whatever in customer service, you block them by the IP address because they live there, right? You block it by the address, meaning that you know where they live. 
Meaning, like, fuck the email then. And the, the personal detail, like, you actually know where these people are based. Again, potential for misuse. Nobody is talking about it. The company is still collecting the analytical information as well, but you can opt out through the WeConnect app settings. So, according to Canadian privacy best practices and recommendations, what they're doing now is technically not illegal, but it's also not best practice, right? Because they are still using the IP address, they're still populating the IP address, which is technically someone's physical address, if they're using the device at their home, which is probably where they're using a sex toy, and also because of the opt-out feature rather than opt-in, right? Default should be I'm not sharing any data, and I'm opting in if I want to, especially with something like a sex toy. It's not even a smartwatch, it's a sex toy, and that's not what they're doing. So that's that on WeVibe, they're still there, still buy their sex toys if this didn't put you off. Honestly, press like if it did. Just, just for my own sanity, press like on this video if it did put you off for buying their products forever. I'm never going back on that website. Cool, cool. So, what about other companies, right? What have they done since? Well, as you can imagine, any sex toy company has went probably through those PDF files, went through the WeVi privacy policy and took notes, took extensive bloody notes, and worked so that their products are either ready, like technologically ready, like Mystery Vibe CEO said that they kind of held off when releasing one of their vibrators that was supposed to have the same function to handle the long-distance controls, because of this, basically because of what they have read in WeWipe's case. They were focusing on securing the server and the infrastructure first prior to releasing the new product. Then there was another company called Lovely. They said that they literally went through every single court document and they are aiming to collect as little data as possible to avoid leaks like it happened in the WeWipe lawsuit. So it seems like the competitors have learned from this case. But what about the wider circle? Let's go back to our Venn diagram, right? We have discussed one side of it, privacy and everything, the middle bit, the teledildonics. What about IoT? What about Internet of Things? Where does it go next? We go back to everything there is out there that can be connected to the Internet and the capability of that device being hacked. Now, the concern with the IoT world is there's potential for increased surveillance, so targeted ads as well. And yet another great example from this article is from, like, random devices in your house that are using smart technology that you might not even think about. Like, if you are having a smart fridge that can track food usage, then advertisers might target ads to individuals who are running low on food. Or imagine you are storing chocolate or whatever the hell it is, and then, like, you see the ads of, like, buy more chocolate. It just influences the psychology of people and how they consume products. And it's not just at the level of teledildonics or your data being hacked from your smartwatch. It's literally so many products and more and more as the technology develops. As for our story, it is expected for the security measures to tighten. And for the future of IoT, customers need to be in control of their data. And companies need to improve trust 
by addressing the public's privacy and security concerns. Still, very much standardization is just needed, and the less that is collected, the less that can be abused after all. Finally, personally, what you can do to protect yourself, whether it is Airbnb or your sex toy company or sex toys that you are using from a particular manufacturer. I don't know why I have mentioned Airbnb like three times during this video. I truly need time off, okay? Burnout is a real thing. I'm just going to list a couple of things here and I'll put the more more details on, on the screen for you to use because I understand this might not be the most interesting thing for people to listen to. But you can check reviews online and change the default factory passwords. I have never done this myself, but I truly think it's super smart. Like unboxing the device, changing the password immediately to make sure that you use your own like unique ones, you know, capital letters, numbers, symbols, all of that. Security updates, always make sure that they are installed as soon as they become available. Renaming Bluetooth devices, so if you are buying a vibrator, rename it from vibrator, whatever it's called, WeVibe, like anything generic that people can connect to a sex toy company, to a toothbrush, I don't know, drawer opener. What kind of rich bitch would have somebody to actually open their drawers? Anyways, use your fake email address. If you have Apple devices, you can scramble the emails to the private relay ones. So use those or find any other, like if you are using an Android device. Don't give away your exact location. Again, in the settings, in privacy options, you can usually change the address so that it's not like precise address, rather it's just the city where you're in. So if you're using this specific device, what are the things you can do to avoid this? You can use it as a dumb vibe. It has one control button on it. You can use the remote control, which isn't sending data. You can use the app if you're not connected to the internet in any way. Um, even if you're, if you're communicating using that device with a partner over the internet, it's automatically sending data. But even if you're not doing that, if you are connected to the internet, it is sending data. Or you can block access using firewall. Uh, avoid linking apps to Facebook usually, WhatsApp, anywhere, because those companies, even Google, I would say, like, those companies usually own multiple ones, again, you know, multiple third parties that can misuse your data. Be selective about the information that you give away, so if these apps are asking you about your smoking history, your drug use history, all of that, make sure that that is not shared if you don't want the data to potentially be used. And look for the privacy policy. Is it online? How easy it is to read? How easy it is to understand? And this website said if it's difficult to find the privacy policy, it should be considered as a red flag, to which I added if it's not easy to understand. If your teenage self would not be able to like understand that policy that's written in simple English, exactly how your data is used, that's not a pro product or the service that you would like to use. And the last piece of advice that I could find is getting back the data if you can. So asking the service to delete the data or like return it to you. What's it called? It's <laughs> not somebody who works in customer service. You can basically ask them for all of the data that they have for you. I will figure it out. My brain has stopped working because yet again, I have just clocked off and started recording. 
you do not deserve me, okay? One <laughs> of the ego boost that happened for a split, split second. Now, all of that, right? I have just given you, I don't know how many steps. Let me count the steps. You were not present in this room, but that was the awkwardest silence ever. Eight steps. I have given you eight steps. So my last question to you is, to what degree should this be our issue? Why do I have to go through eight steps, or even more, probably according to experts and hackers online, everybody, to protect my own device, to protect, not even my own device, like whatever I'm using next, to protect myself from that data that's associated to that website or product being shared. What is ultimately the price of the service that in some cases isn't even free? We are so used to offering up our data to the companies that offer us a free product, but in the story of the day, the products were paid for. Should we be reading the policies upon opening up a sex toy? Or should the ease of use cover our privacy? Imagine the world where you could just enjoy the product you bought, without worrying that what has been inside of you can threaten your future. We have laws protecting us from people exposing sexual content to do just that. But the products those humans created still own us to this day. And that is the story of WeVibe class action lawsuit. Some of you might not find this the most interesting story, the most, I don't know, compelling in any way. It doesn't have a murderer, a motive, a crime, a missing person, unsolved mystery. However, to me, I think we need more exposure on these stories. I think we need to talk about them more. I think we need to change the laws. I think we need to change the way of opting out of our data being shared just willy-nilly with random servers in motherfucking Canada, okay? Canadians, you are the problem. That is the conclusion of this story. Don't come for me, Canadians, please. I love you and respect you, actually, probably more than Americans. This is great, my great content for somebody who is going to the US in March. Yeah, I should be coming with a next story in about two weeks, and hopefully, yes, have the time, at least for a couple of months, to release two um, episodes, two videos a month, and then maybe the frequency will increase. I'm not sure. I'm really struggling, okay? <laughs> struggling with a full-time job and release, but on a positive note, for a lot of you, this video might be less than an hour long, it might be shorter than an hour, which might be a first in a long, long time, okay? For some of you, you might be inclined to actually watch it based off of that. Still, the deepest dive that I could do on this case, okay? Cut me some slack. If you like deep dives, make sure you like and subscribe. She chose violence today. <laughs> Just logged off for work. I was like, violence. Recording on a Friday. Violence has been chosen. Nobody is making you do this. <laughs> you love doing it. Like, actually, you love doing this. What the fuck? Anyways, if you like deep dives like this, make sure you like and subscribe for more. <laughs> so that I do not lose my sanity. <laughs> While... Closing the work laptop, right? And then opening the personal one for research and then sitting here on a Friday in order for me to have Saturday and Sunday off. What a sob sob story. What a sad little life, Jane. Oh my god, I have not watched that video in a long while. 
I'm probably going to watch it straight away. And right as I stop recording. What a sad little life change. I don't know why you're shaking ahead of me. <laughs> you won, Jane. Oh, my God. Enjoy the money. I hope it makes oh you very God. happy. Dear Lord, what a sad little life, Jane. You ruined my night completely so you could have the money, but I hope now you spend it on getting some lessons in grace and decorum because you have all the grace of a reversing dump truck without any tyres on. <laughs> I don't get it. Well, you wouldn't, let's be honest. There's nobody in there, love. <laughs> so, Jane, take your money and get off my property. So, uh, well done, Jane. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're exactly having that moment. You're living through that moment. You're just having a meltdown for what reason? <laughs> for what reason? The man actually appeared on fucking Come Dine With Me. They know the story, they're British. The man appeared on Come Dine With Me. Lost and could not handle it. <laughs> Just like, why do you appear publicly on a TV show when you are so loser? When you can't handle losing? <laughs> this is how you're getting people to subscribe. Oh my days. Maya out. This was a weird outro, let's just be honest. It was a weird week. It was a weird day. It is to this point, a weird year. It's just January. <laughs> I am done with it. I'm so over it. February, come on. Or whatever. Remember, February has Valentine's Day, like your least favorite day of the year. <laughs> You're so gonna be insufferable. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter, just, uh, I always post on Valentine's Day, which is how I, much I hate that day. Cool, my out, I will be seeing you soon. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm serious. Goodbye. Goodbye, guys. Bye. <laughs> I'm so emotionally attached to this. Bye.